Welcome to Journal Spotting. Want to get active fighting climate change? But you need some inspiration. What can you do? Who should you talk to? How do you get climate joy? Your ears are in the right place. This is a general medicine podcast that will bring you a monthly roundup of the top practice changing articles, along with specialist interviews, guidelines, and more. We scour the journals so you don't have to. We are the Journal Spotters. Welcome back to the Climate Zone listeners. Things are on the up. But unfortunately, guys, it's not really in a good way. Temperatures are going up. I mean, anybody in the UK and most of Europe will be feeling that. The cost of living is going up. Again, anybody in the UK, most of Europe, most of the world is feeling that. And time is almost up on our window for action on climate crisis. If, like us, you want to know more about the links between climate and health, and what you can do to ensure we have a livable planet, not only for ourselves, but for the next generations, your ears are in the right place. Before we start the episode, um, LJ, would you like to remind our listeners exactly what the climate zone is? Sure, Barney. Um, Alongside our regular journal spotting roundups of the medical literature and specialist interviews, we've created the Climate Zone series, where we highlight all the ways in which the climate crisis is a health crisis. We hope to not only educate ourselves and our listeners, but also empower healthcare workers and students to take action. In our previous episodes, we've already seen how the climate crisis causes preventable illness and premature death, not only globally, but right here in the UK. Yeah, I think the episode on cardiovascular health really highlighted that for me as an excellent interview and a really great discussion. And that was, I'm talking about the showing the the, the effects of both air pollution and heat on heart attacks, heart failure and strokes. In fact, that is currently our most downloaded journal spotting episode. So if you haven't heard it, go and check it out. It's really good. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really eye-opening. Amazing that that's the most downloaded episode. Um, We've also heard some hopeful messages of innovation from Shireen Kassam on plant-based diets and activism from Robin Stott and Richard Smith. So I'm really excited to be introducing this episode in which we'll be talking to three medical student organisers and activists. But before we hear the interview, it's just you and me today, Barney. Um, but why don't we introduce ourselves anyway to remind our listeners who we are? Yeah, great. Yeah, I'm afraid our usual co-hosts, Katia and John, couldn't join us today. But fear not, you have myself, Dr. Barnaby Hirons, Respiratory Registrar and currently a Research Fellow in London. And I'm Dr. LJ Smith, a respiratory consultant in South London. But we promise to not only think about the lungs, even though... Yeah. <laughs> in fact, we said there's very little talk about the lungs in this interview. So I think in this discussion... We but do you, very you know, well. Keep it well, well done. We can tap ourselves on the back. Um, now, at this point, we usually uh, think about our climate challenges, or at least some of what we've done so far. So, so far, we quit plastic for a month, which was tough. We made our diets more planet-friendly, which was probably a bit easier than we all expected. We've contacted our MPs and got some great sort of responses from there. And we found ways to make our wardrobes, in particular our underwear, based on the last episode where we discussed it, um, less impactful on the environment. Yeah, I think all of the challenges have been really helpful in helping us to think more deeply about um, some of the issues and some of the ways in which we can make a difference personally, but also start to pressure for systemic change. And our most recent challenge was to bring up the climate crisis in a conversation at work. So we'll find out how we got on with this after the interview. 
For this episode, we were lucky enough to interview three medical students who are working in climate and health alongside their studies. We spoke to Lizzie O'Brien, Medjah Bean Farid and Marina Politis. And I've got to say, it's a really great wide-ranging conversation on climate justice, medical education, there's hope, there's climate anxiety, there's intersectionality, there's action, there's even joy in there. So I'm really pleased to be uh, sharing this today. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? And I I think it's really clear that this isn't just an interview for medical students to get ideas about what to do at university. This is for anybody who's interested in sort of climate action and climate change. And I mean, I learned loads from talking to them. I really did. um, And I was really found them quite inspiring. So I'm sure listeners, you will love hearing what they have to say and the discussion we have. Um, Just before we go to listen to the interview, uh, just a reminder that if you like what you hear, please rate us, review us and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or or whatever you listen listen on. Um, Get in touch on Twitter, follow us. Um, if you like Instagram or even email us any questions or feedback to journalspotting at gmail.com. We'd love to hear how the Climate Zone is, series is informing or even motivating you at home or at work. So please get in touch. Okay, LJ, let's uh, get on with the episode. Great. Welcome everybody to an episode of Climate Zone. We're really pleased to have you here and to have some different voices on the podcast this time from some really fantastic inspirational medical students who are already working in the climate and health space. So if we could go around and people could introduce themselves, um, tell us a little bit about the role that you have in the organisation that you're part of. And Barney likes a cheesy icebreaker, so we've asked you to tell us also what your favourite biscuit is. Um... <laughs> I do indeed, I do indeed. And uh, my co-host, my usual co-host, is John, is not here to roll his eyes when I ask it. So <laughs> We can imagine it. So if we start with Lizzie, do you mind starting? Cool, yeah, so I'm Lizzie, um, my pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm a medical student at Cardiff, um, and I think I got mainly involved through the Organisation Students for Global Health, um, working in their climate change and health group, and I now co-lead that um, with Medj, which has been really fun. Um, I was really lucky to go to COP, um, where I met Marina as well. Um, so I've been working in those spaces, and then I've been looking um, particularly at my university as well, trying to improve sustainability teaching within our curriculum. Um, and then more importantly, favourite biscuit. I think I'd have to go for custard cream because then you get two for the price of one. Oh, nice. Two for the price of one. That's good. I like that. Fantastic. Um, we might move on to your co-chair, Medjah Bean. That would be great. Hi. Yes, I'm Medjah Bean. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm co-leading the Students for Global Health, Climate and Health National Working Group with Lizzie. Um, I'm between my third and fourth year at King's. And I integrated in public health at the University of Birmingham, which is kind of where my interest in climate and health grew a little bit because you don't cover it much in medicine. Um, but my favourite biscuit, I think I'd say a ginger nut. Good for dunking. <laughs> Thank you very much. Some real classics coming out of the biscuits here. Um, great. So Marina. Um, Hi everyone, I'm Marina, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a medical student in Glasgow who's just finished an intercalated degree. I came to climate organising more recently, I've just become involved with PHM at People's Health Movement and MedAct, but I've also done some local climate organising in Glasgow and also with the BMA. My favourite biscuit? Probably a Doppeltaler, which is like a biscuit that my granny bakes for Christmas. It's a bit like a 
uh, Jammy Dodger, but even better because my granny bakes them. So, yeah. Sounds amazing. <laughs> LJ, what's your favourite biscuit? Uh, mine's a Bourbon, and that's because they are accidentally vegan, and so I can steal them from the wards without worrying about it, which I can't normally with the other biscuits. Nice, clever, good. And you? Um, it's always been a simple chocolate digestive. Yeah, and as a kid, I used to go through packets of them, and I still got a weak spot for them. They're good. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so now we've got the uh, serious, important stuff done. We'll move on to some more questions about your working climate and health. Um, I think was it maybe Medjabeen who said um, that you hadn't had much in your medical curriculum related to climate and health. Um, so I was just hoping to hear from all of you about what your experience has been of planetary health education in the medical school curriculum. Whether you've had much, what's your experience been like? Shall we start with Marina this time? Yeah, so like a lot of people, I don't think the climate crisis was ever mentioned in my undergraduate teaching. I also did an integrated degree in global health this year, so it was mentioned there. But now even whilst learning about social determinants of health, it never really featured. Fortunately, I believe in Glasgow, it's just been added to the curriculum as a sort of longitudinal theme. And I think there might even be like a planetary health lead, which is really quite exciting. So I'm hopeful that the next generation of medical students will get a bit more. It's quite nice actually be able to say something positive. But yeah, personally, it was not featured. Yeah, so probably a similar experience for me as well. So I'm still doing undergraduate at the moment um, and our curriculum's been very, very limited. There's been some fantastic work um, by the um, Planetary Health Report Card, um, which is a student organisation as well, um, who reviewed lots of curriculums and sort of gave them a score. Um, my university, so Cardiff University, came out at the bottom. Um, so I think that's been quite a powerful sort of like drive to get them to make changes. So I think um, similar to Marina, it's kind of nice to say that there is some positive change going on that um, I think medical schools definitely are now realising that there's this big gap. Um, and the challenge now is trying to work out what um, to fill it with, I guess, like in a, f a field like sustainable healthcare, there isn't that many experts and like trying to fill the gap, which we need to so quickly. Um, and just trying to draw on resources such as the student bodies that are so engaged um, is really important. I'm glad you managed, uh, you mentioned the planetary health report card because I think that's such a great um, project, particularly because it's been led by and driven by entirely by medical students. So it's a real demand to the medical schools to say, you're not, you're not delivering on this. And it's such a powerful thing to have a comparator between the medical schools and to score them to kind of reflect that assessment mentality back to the medical school um so I think that will drive a lot of change but it's also really interesting you say that actually recognize there's a gap in terms of maybe the teachers aren't equipped and I guess that's a real challenge have you had any have there been anyone on your courses who've even mentioned it or been at all referencing climate issues when they've been teaching I can't think of any examples that I've ever had and I think one thing that's really important to like emphasise in the education is that, yes, we need education on how we can make our practices more sustainable and use greener pharmacy or that kind of options. But we still need to talk about the systems change that's needed and how that's so fundamental to sort of the climate justice movement and the, the fact we need social um, progress. Um, we need like strategies that look out for everyone in order to improve our health and improve the planet's health. Um, so I don't think I've had, I've definitely not had any of like any teaching about more of the systemic value of it all at what point did you get into it then if it wasn't being taught at what point did you decide actually this is something we want to concentrate on and 
be a, a big part of your training and you want to make change? I'll hop in here. So similar to the others, um, I don't recall the mention of like climate change in kind of clinical teaching. But one moment that did strike me um, was during one of my students' elective components. And I picked, and it was nothing to do with like sustainability. It was actually to do with imaging and kind of technology. And we were like working on a product to build 3D print ribs for lung cancer patients. Um, and I remember we got to go into surgery with a cardiothoracic surgeon um, to kind of see these lungs that we were going to, the ribs that we were going to model. Um, and the lungs were black. And like, just as medical students do, I casually asked um, how many cigarettes did they smoke? Because I think that's what, as a third year, like I still associated with kind of the typical picture of black lungs. And the surgeon, like I won't forget this, he very casually was like, he was a never smoker. He just lived in central London and like I think that was a it was I guess an eye-opener because I, I I think I was struck by the fact that I didn't even consider that like my first thing was smoking and then um I remember talking to people about it and they didn't seem particularly shocked or concerned um and I was like I I think it just struck me and from there I kind of got more interested um, and obviously things around air pollution have come up a lot in London, especially with Elegacy Deborah and things are happening. But it, I think that was like just a moment for me. It sounds like a really powerful moment. And I um, think often big decisions in life can often come from one stream from one moment when you're, you're you. Luckily, it's not your health. Often it's somebody else's health and that makes them make a change. But for you, it was seeing, seeing something like that, which was really quite profound. And I think that would make a, a lot of people change. So that sounds like a, a, it's a brilliant example. Thank you. Anyone else? So sort of similar to Medj, the, the way I got into it was kind of like it was a one-off as well. So I guess over lockdown, actually, I listened to quite a lot of podcasts and was just really aware of how bad the situation was, but I wasn't really... Um, doing anything to and I, I was sort of looking for ways to get involved and I was just scrolling one evening and I saw an opportunity to get involved in the climate and health working group which is what me and Medj now lead um, and I was like oh that looks interesting realized the deadline was midnight that night so just quickly typed up an application and sent it off and so pr- prior to that I had no experience whatsoever and I've managed to do so much with it and I'm really proud of what we've done and also I think it's been really important for me having like somewhere positive to focus my energy rather than just worrying about sort of all these problems going on um, and I definitely have like picked up a lot of skills that has given me the chance to now lead the group and like get more involved in it so um, yeah so similar to me kind of just a one-off but I'm really glad that I took the chance. Yeah I can't really think of any one moment I think it was sort of even before medical school something that was always on my radar but I think I was like like a lot of people was like this is too big I can't engage with this um so I just sort of shut myself off from it um but I was sort of always quite involved with like other sort of activism say surrounding like gender and sexuality and I think I had this moment of just like actually all of this is futile if I don't think about the climate as well like that's kind of the overarching like central issue like I don't know, like, what's the point in, say, campaigning for gender equality if then it's, like, to the background of, like, climate collapse? Like, that just doesn't work. And I think it actually last summer became, like, a lot more real to me. Just so I'm half German, half Greek. And obviously we had really, really bad floods in Germany. And then we had really awful forest fires in Greece, which just kind of encapsulated everything, I guess. And actually, like, say, being on the phone to my grandmother and her being like, 
oh, I'm just praying that it starts raining. Whilst like in Germany, it was like, we don't want that. Yeah. So I guess it just, I almost feel a bit bad about that because we're always like, oh, it shouldn't just matter when it's like close to us. But I guess that did drive it home a bit. There's, um, it's really interesting what you say about kind of trying to put that anxiety and energy into something positive. One of my favorite quotes from Greta Thunberg is, once we start to act, hope is everywhere. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really helpful way to think about it. Um, but I'm also really interested in how you came to this through other sort of activism and also other um, ways of thinking about social determinants of health and kind of intersections. Can you say a bit more about how how climate intersects with other issues from what you're seeing and what you're doing? So I guess, obviously, like, say, with gender, like, women are often the worst impacted by sort of natural disasters. Um, I mean, there's, I think, more women who are farmers and produce food, but they have like way less control over like farmland and stuff like that. And then are less likely to be able to swim. So are more vulnerable to floods. But then like at COP, we saw in so many delegations that like they were still so like biased towards men and like the same with like, there were more what fossil fuel representatives than like people from indigenous communities. So I guess that was, and then also something that I'd say never thought about is that, for example, I think it was in the USA, like after, think hurricane katrina like say trans people were like excluded from a lot of the shelters and stuff like that so i guess even sort of when we think we're advocating for an issue that's completely separate there is still that connection because i think for a lot of the time i sort of saw what i was involved with as less relevant to climate spheres but actually it's like yeah we just can't separate any of it or put it in silos yeah following on from that um women do tend to be the most affected um but they also have been proven to be the most effective agents of change, uh, like globally across lots of different industries, including like agriculture. And I think, yeah, climate justice is definitely at the intersection of social justice in general. Um, And as Lizzie mentioned a little bit earlier, you can't really achieve climate justice without kind of that systemic change needed in general. Um, At the moment, we have this cost of living crisis Um, But the root causes of this are the same kind of principles that are also causing climate injustice, um, racial inequality, health inequality. And yeah, so any change towards kind of improving the situation in the climate emergency is also going to create justice in kind of other areas of life too, which is also a kind of a reason to be hopeful and feel positive about getting involved I guess. Yeah and just following on from that I guess Medj was reading my mind because I was going to say a similar thing but um, I think whilst a lot of the um, problems have a shared like cause they also have shared solutions so that's why this is such a good opportunity um, especially coming out of Covid like we are in a phase where we're like we're resetting what we're thinking um, so it's like we've never been a better time to do that. And one of the um, organisations we've also worked with is Green New Deal, um, working with MedAct on their health for a Green New Deal. Um, and that's really about saying um, we can like it's saying that obviously there are lots of problems. But we can challenge all of those through um, through systems change. And um, so, for example, having politics that look out for everybody in society, making sure they're supported. So then um, they've got uh, ways to support themselves. So they're not sort of maybe going into um, poor health habits or they're not going to be at risk of manipulation and all those kind of things. And it's about saying that um, we can make this difference, but we just need the, the mindset to do it. 
That's great, guys. And um, very eloquently put by all of you. And actually, I think you're really getting to the key of the matter, which is um, how everything is just so interrelated. And um, unfortunately, in a sense, it all makes sense because you, you help one, it can help the other. But I suppose one of the big points is, is that there are so many different facets. We actually need to improve them all to, for them all to work together. With your groups, what challenges have you faced? What sort of difficulties have you come up against? And with that, what have been your sort of biggest successes and failures? Um, We did like failures in one of those terms or learning experiences um, from what you've done so far. Maybe one of the challenges that I found is trying to communicate the whole picture. And I think that's difficult for a couple of things. Like one, I'm not an expert in any of this. Like I'm doing medicine, I'm not doing politics. So I probably don't know all the details. Um, but also trying to maybe engage people without putting them off with all I think sometimes when we start demanding all this justice yes it's really important but sometimes it's hard to like maybe we worry about saying the wrong thing Um, so quite a nice example is like saying like yes net zero NHS is really good but we need to think about that in a little bit more than like the face value so um, we were at this meeting me and Meg the other day where um, somebody was talking about um, electric ambulances and that's, that does sound really positive, but we need to remember that, you know, the process isn't feeding into that as a lot of extractivism. Um, there's a lot of child labour in the um, process, sort of like um, degradation of the local community um, and their resources. Um, so I think maybe trying to communicate that in a way that doesn't put people off, because obviously green ambulances could be really helpful for climate if, they made, if we make sure that they are um, actually just in the way that we deliver them to. Um, so I think trying to communicate the systems change um, is challenging, but also, like we've said already, really positive. Like it's, it's, it does show that we can make differences in such a big way. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, we often worry about this thing about it being quite political and where's the line between medicine and politics. Um, I always like to quote Verko at people just because he said medicine is a social science, politics is nothing but medicine on a large scale. So I like to, you know, think about us as being experts in politics because we see it every day. We see the consequences of political decisions every day in our healthcare work. Um, But I think communicating that in a way that that isn't too challenging or too negative can be really tricky. Have other people found that or different challenges? Absolutely. I, I love that you just said that quote because I literally was just like thinking it in my head. Because I think <laughs> that, um, yeah, sort of similar. And also from peers, which I think sometimes we kind of expect maybe this generation would be different. But like, I remember this moment on placement where I was like frustrated because I think I'd, someone had said something, like it was one of those instances where say, I don't know, a surgeon is saying something and I'd kind of been like, oh, but wait a second, like maybe we shouldn't just be thinking about it in this way. And they were kind of like, I remember the moment exactly. They were like, Marina, would you not just wait until you graduated to be political, like make life easier for yourself? And I was like, it's not making things easier for myself to be quiet. It's kind of similar when people are like, oh, but like you're spending all this time on these issues. Like, what about your studies? And I'm like, I don't think I could sustain studying in this system without having those other outlets to try like advocate for things that I care about so yeah definitely that issue absolutely resonates with me yeah yeah I think we have no choice but to get political um because efforts towards sustainable healthcare are going to be futile if the way things are going continue I think there's this phrase that's thrown around like think globally act locally um which is very true and 
hard to implement, I guess, because obviously with goals around kind of tangible, sustainable healthcare, it's a lot easier to monitor kind of medications and things like that, as opposed to legislative change, which can take years to come through. Um, But in public health, like root cause is such a big thing. And I think it gives you something to be hopeful for, I guess. Um, But like even today, the World Meteorological Organization were kind of, they released their report about how the four indicators of climate change are at like all time highs. I think 2021 saw new records and we're going to see that every year unless things change on a much bigger scale than kind of our individual actions. I think we have no choice but collective action, which is also, um, I guess, exciting because it's easier when you're in it together and you can, I don't know, I guess, feel like you can make a difference. Yeah, following on from what Madge said as well, I know you asked about uh, what good things we found and we've given you lots of challenges, but there have been so many like good things that have come out of the work that we've done as well. And I think one thing that's really important is like the power that we have as students. Um, so like a good example is curriculum changes. So um, I was doing some work with one of the sustainability fellows and she's been doing so much incredible like behind the scenes work, but it was only when students were, came forward and demanded it that there was like that real change. And I guess that comes back to the fact that we're paying the fees and we're giving the feedback. And so I think we do have real power um, and that's really exciting. Um, and also as health professionals and like health students, um, we have a lot of power coming from like the health perspective. So um, it's really well known, obviously, that clinicians are like some of the most trusted people in society so when we start talking about this and people take it a lot more seriously people care so much about health like that's one of the, that's been shown in quite a lot of ways that that does drive people's behavior so if we start talking about it then people you know it's, it's our lives at stake at the end of the day um, and a fact which I came across kind of recently which I was kind of surprised about is um there was a, a survey by YouGov that found that um, people care more about climate change than coronavirus and if we think back to like how much people mobilized for that so we had people clapping on the streets so we had like people donating millions to to, um tom that you know if we had that much energy then we've got so much energy to tackle these changes as well so i think um coming from our position as health students we can really harness both those like um attitudes to mobilize for change brilliant thanks guys yeah no absolutely right and I, i can i can really see if you go to the root the root of medical education, which is as a medical student, and you get the you plant the seeds and you get the education in there. Um, those students and then future doctors are much more likely to be um, interested, involved, and willing to sort of change and make changes for climate change. So isn't that, that's fantastic. Um, you mentioned um, that some of you were at, at COP, and that's you know obviously we weren't there, and I've heard a little bit about it, and I'm just really interested in what the the atmosphere was like there um and what was your overall impression were you infused by it or were you disappointed by it i think that's yeah there's a, a lot of feelings that came out of cop so i'll try and summarize <laughs> very briefly some of the things that came out of it the at the end of the day pretty much all the agreements were very watered down um so that was hugely disappointing but it was so much more than disappointing you know it's scary that's our futures at stake um, but also very disappointing in the way that it was conducted. Um, it was extremely like exclusive um, for so many reasons. So vaccine apartheid meant that those people couldn't come 
um there was clear racism in so many different ways like um being like activists uh, black activists being cropped from headlines um just to, to show that that um there were so many police on the streets made it really hostile that's one of the things that we found um so i think the the way it was done was really disappointing but at the same time i still came away with hope so i've been organizing with um, students for global health for a year beforehand and it was the first time we ever met in person and it was really empowering I think just being able to you know see somebody's legs not just their face Um, and like having a bit of a community and like you know really connecting that there was so much stuff we had done and we could celebrate that I think I got a lot of ideas and I was really really inspired by like the people around me and just the fact that there were so many people there and so many people engaged and talking about it um so on the um uh, the Saturday we had the really big march which was the global day global day um i can't remember the official name but the global day of action which saw like marches across the country and um and cop was huge and i just remember we so we were marching as part of the health block and there were literally so many people walking around in scrubs um and we did it staged a die-in on hope street which was the most polluted street um and i i think been raining that day um we had loads of stuff with us but we were all just lying on the floor anyway and it, it there was something just i think seeing so many people that were willing to just march around uh, a wet street and lie down there. Um, it was like, it's so nice just to remember that there were so many other people who do care about this and who are taking action. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> I wasn't actually at COP, but I do live in Glasgow. So it's quite strange. So I think on the one hand, I probably had a more positive experience than people who were kind of in the rooms because I did just see the kind of local grassroots stuff happen, which I think is kind of where so many of the interesting conversations maybe actually are and where a lot of that hope is fostered I mean that's how we met um but then on the other hand I think as well as someone who lives in Glasgow like actually seeing kind of the tokenism and all the this performative stuff happened was like really quite disillusioning so obviously in Glasgow we have so much inequality and even just little things like people in Glasgow have campaigned for like a travel card for years and it's not been possible and then all cop delegates got this wonderful little card that let them on the subway and the like three different brands of buses that we have in Glasgow and that was never possible for people actually in Glasgow so I think it really kind of highlighted as well like okay um like yeah well who matters here um even just like I remember I was working I work as a healthcare assistant the week before and so many kind of people were complaining about COP happening and at the start I was quite frustrating about frustrated about it because I was like no but like this matters but then sort of when you think about it like actually yeah like it's disrupting so many people's routine and then kind of for what with how diluted so many things are so yeah I'm kind of also torn as well because a lot of it does just feel really performative but that said obviously really important but we need to have these conversations in a proper way and yeah the police presence was shocking yeah, following on from that police presence, it really sticks to me. There was a march by Extinction Rebellion. It was a really small march. There was probably like 100 or so people in it. And we saw them come around the corner and we thought it was like a march by policemen because there were police stra- surrounding all of them. And we thought like the police had organised for their own march. And then we realised it was XR and they were just being caged in. So yeah, the police um, presence was insane. Yeah, you would see, and I'm not even exaggerating, almost like 100 around kind of, like JP Morgan or even like the banks and stuff around their headquarters they just had like rings of police around them as people were kind of going through the streets marching and I think Glasgow is kind of known for being the most unequal in terms of health in the UK I believe I think Marina might know better but it was just a case study we looked at and to think that 
um, like so many people from around the world were coming here. Um, there was a lot of greenwashing, I guess, in the kind of official areas. And then I think the largest delegate was actually from the fossil fuel industry, mm-hmm. um, which is quite shocking because, like, again, the kind of tobacco industry were blocking so much change around like smoking legislation for so long and the same thing is happening here um and we definitely see that i think like the fossil fuel industry is being subsidized 11 million dollars a minute by governments around the world and it kind of puts things into perspective that like we try to implement changes on a smaller scale but we're going to need that bigger action to kind of see the change like the international energy agency have like clearly stated we have no room for new oil and gas but the government keeps approving new exploration projects and i think it's hard because we're we want to kind of dedicate our lives to the health service but if our government are being hypocrites on kind of every level where does that leave us except to ask for change that you've just painted such a clear picture there and I just it really strikes me that 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 image of the police surrounding and protecting the very companies corporations that are causing the harm and are being subsidized to cause harm to the people within the cities is just so powerful and I guess what you've talked about is the importance of systemic change and change across multiple systems and it being very much in the hands of government so my question really is to all of you what you think the role of medical students and of healthcare professionals lots of people listening to this will be in work kind of doing their best prescribing a statin here or there trying to reduce cardiovascular risk by a few percent um what do you think the role should be in the time of climate crisis when we're seeing such an action I think that's a very big question again. And like, I don't think I'm in a position to say necessarily, but I think like that's that's a good thing. Like there's so many different things and there's definitely not like one role that anyone can do. I think um, just one really nice way of putting it is like whatever skills you have, there's a place for it in the climate movement. We, you know, we've already said so much that we need all the systems changed. So there's so many different areas that we can act change. Um, so whether that's in like SUSQI projects, um, whether it's in sustainable healthcare and um, education, um, as we were saying earlier, you know, if we can get it in people's mindsets earlier, I think having people on board is so much easier than trying to convince people who are already um, like embedded in their ways of practice. Going back to the students, I think, um, again, we have a big role in that. And we also probably see the, we, we've, we've been lucky to have more education on this than probably um, other generations. So we can start to bring those ideas to the table too. Um, and it is, it is like even at local levels. So there's a really nice initiative starting off in Cardiff where um, final years have like a way of selling their scrubs to younger years. Um, and that way we're, we're able to like recycle and reuse our um, resources. And I think it's just nice to, yeah, to recognise that there's change at so many different levels. And also, um, sorry, just to add on to that. Um, yes, we have a, a role Like there is so much we can do, but also there's a lot we must do. Like it is defined in our role. It goes back to the fact that, you know, like we're taught that prevention is better than cure. So we need to prevent action now before we try and cure like uh, a hot planet that's gone beyond any um, like any ways of rectifying the situation. Um, and we're always taught, you know, like our GMC values are um, that we won't, whatever the GMC says is what we need to be doing. And that's really true. Obviously, they're there for a reason. But I think maybe it's, it's overemphasized and we need to remember that the GMC values are like 
guidance but we should be doing it because it's what we care about and like we all are in it because we care about our patients and um if we do truly care about our patients then we should be caring about climate justice i was doing a session the other day with some first years and I was trying to explain I was like I bet I can guarantee what you all wrote in your UCAS statement was I want to do medicine because I want to I care about people and I care about science and doesn't climate justice fulfill both those things you know science is telling us so clearly we need to act and if we care about people we need to protect them now I'm absolutely stealing that in all future presentations (laughs) thanks very much (laughs) (laughs) very nice yeah (laughs) so well put yeah, bouncing off that, I think like so often it's seen as like one or the other when exactly like it needs to be an inherent part of our role. And I almost feel like actually not doing something is dangerous. It's like when people are like, oh, I'm apolitical. And it's like, no, you're not apolitical. Like then you're sort of standing for the wrong side. So I think I think also like having just having conversations like we talk to so many people, like say like we're always told about like brief smoking interventions and things like that like why can't we take those 30 seconds like in a consultation to talk to a patient about that but I also think it's really important there to not be paternalistic about it like they might also be the experts and you know they know more about their own health and environment than we can but just sort of using that like what others have mentioned like the trust that people do have in the medical profession to sort of mobilize and I think also obviously we have a lot of privilege in kind of the sort of just having that access to talk about things and yeah I think really reframing it as like also doing no harm like it's not compatible with health to just be complacent in the system and I think that's one of the things that like I really struggle with when it's like oh you just need to like no that's not your role and it's like well especially because so much of it is rooted in like social inequality and that which drives so much of illness it just yeah it feels like being silent is just the opposite of yeah what it means to be involved in healthcare I guess. Thank you um that really resonates particularly because what I've heard from local groups particularly on air pollution so mums for lungs choked up and uh, Ellicacy Deborah's mother Rosamond is that they're surprised and disappointed by the fact that healthcare professionals are not talking about this in their healthcare appointments so I think sometimes we come with um, assumptions that are incorrect that people don't make the link and don't want to hear from us about it they want to hear about their health they absolutely they are already making the links and doing the campaigning and so when they bring their child with asthma to the hospital for the fourth time this year and nobody mentions the fact that air pollution is shockingly high and way above WHO levels then they are confused Um, and I think that's something we need to rectify so it's just really helpful to hear you talk about it in that way of you know that 30 seconds of very brief advice that model seems really powerful thank you is there a model like that for climate change i haven't seen it um you know a lot of the societies have um some guidance on talking to patients which i've never haven't found one which has been particularly useful and i think there we go there's a project for our listeners figure out a, a 30 second intervention um to to talk to people about climate change or at least point them in the right direction i think that's a great idea yeah just coming in on that, I think if there was any intervention, it's really important that it's done in a very careful way that it doesn't push the responsibility back on individuals. Um, and a really nice way of demonstrating that is that the concept of ca- carbon footprint was invented by BP, which is a massive fossil industry, fossil fuel industry. So um, they um, obviously it was hugely powerful and it does make us all challenge our like our own ways of doing it when we need to remember that the 
the root cause is the fossil fuels that we're using. And I think um, maybe again, going back to some of the challenges about communicating climate change is that trying to communicate it in a way that people feel they've got options. So we're not sort of asking maybe a family um, who are on the breadline with no money um, to start choosing like organic, uh, locally sourced um, vegetables, but it's about saying um, there's a bigger picture here too. Um, so I, I do really support that, but I think it's, we need to be really careful in how we do talk to people, engage people in the conversation. Yeah, brilliant. And you're absolutely right. And it is a, a very complex area, isn't it? It has to be done right. But um, I suppose you could say any conversation is good, but it has to be done. You're right. It has to be done w- with care. Yeah, it's definitely tricky. Um, I mean, you could say that the most effective intervention might be encouraging people to vote in a particular way but obviously as kind of doctors we can't we're not in that position at the moment to be like oh this is how you can protect your health um but I think we have to be advocates and we're very privileged because like the NHS could be considered kind of an anchor institution I think that sounds like a buzzword but it basically is this idea that we can have influence and um we should have influence I think and I guess that's why we kind of love the public health case for a Green New Deal because it shows how kind of this just transition is good for your health good for the economy good for the future um and that's exciting and like we shouldn't I mean it is scary to kind of have those conversations but I think, as Marina said, like opening that conversation, not just with like patients, but with colleagues, with um, large institutions. So we um, sometimes join in with the UK Health Alliance on Climate Change. And again, uh, they are supportive, but focusing on kind of any like net zero NHS feels more, I guess, tangible, maybe. Um, so I guess it's a finding a balance of both because we're social creatures. Like if we see the people around us making a change, we also tend to get on board. I think also like when I was saying that about kind of having that brief smoking intervention equivalent with a patient, I think I wasn't saying like, oh, we need to tell them like, this is the action that they should take and stuff like that. But kind of, as you were acknowledging, like actually just acknowledge that this might be something they're anxious about or like I think that example of the child you mentioned is like so powerful because we're always told like oh secondhand smoke and it's like well what about like this environment where so I think maybe it's also just the whole model of medicine where we need to like reframe it as like a more collaborative thing where it's not always us telling patients what to do but actually just like holding space as well and I think also maybe like maybe this is too much of a tangent but we sort of mentioned like say the GMC like outcomes for graduates and good medical practice but actually thinking about like who does that actually serve because like who does our medicine serve right now like is it the most vulnerable patient or is it just like kind of the privileged like kind of yeah and I think just and again like does it serve the planet so actually like again just this wider thing of like medicine maybe needs a total shift and I think like rather than imagining like conversations about the climate crisis within like how we're operating right now actually like what does like I don't know I feel like our current system of medicine isn't very healing but maybe that's I think yeah no I think that's a really good challenge and I think it's a really helpful way to question 
everything in terms of the structures that then lead to the systems that then deliver the healthcare that we we've got you know the healthcare that we are currently delivering is a product of this system and something I've been reading about lately is the concept of value as applied to medicine and just kind of trying to reframe what we think of as value so over the last few years medicine's got very good at technical efficiency so doing operations better getting drugs that are more targeted but what it hasn't got better at is something called allocative efficiency so making sure that the resources are distributed to the people that need them and I think it's that that's where that links in to say well who is those GMC outcomes many of them are absolutely we'd agree with but maybe some of that framing is either too narrow or isn't serving all of the population and that's both local and global so I think that challenge of what is medicine for and what are doctors for and what does you, what do you want the healthcare system to look like that you're going to graduate and work in is is a really helpful question. Do you have any thoughts about a utopian future? Well, I was going to say I, I I really like like the I really agree with the sort of ideas you're saying, and it sounds like a big challenge, like this whole shift we need. But I think it definitely is possible, and in a way, we're, we're like we're making the changes to it. So, for example, social prescribing is, you know, we're taught about that now, and I know that's quite a new thing, but we're, we're really aware of it in terms of the focus from our education. Um, and that's a really nice example of trying to fix people's health, not necessarily with tablets, but um, looking at the bigger picture. Um, so I would love to see it happen. <laughs> and I think there are steps towards it. I was going to say, yeah, I think that's such a great point because climate change does disproportionately affect already vulnerable populations. And we see it locally, we see it internationally. Um, so this idea of having a kind of a shift in the entire model is going to be so key um, to tackling that. Otherwise, we just see inequality increasing. And yeah, and it is really tricky because when you, because there's this kind of disconnect between, I guess, clinical medicine and public health, and you see that like public health in the local authority, and maybe they change kind of traffic in one area but that traffic gets diverted to another area who are now going to be breathing in the air that is diverted away so it's it's hard because if one solution is creating a new problem then maybe you need to rethink the way you approach the problems at all brilliant thank you so moving on a little bit from that uh, one of the things you, I'm sure you've heard and um, we keep hearing is you know this sort of term of thank goodness the uh, the younger generation are looking into this thank goodness they are you know they are campaigning and they're fighting for this and you know it's great that the future's in their hands um and of course that is just a huge caveat for you know almost an excuse for older people not to bother or think it's too late do you feel well one do you feel some sort of pressure um, being of a, a younger generation to have this sort of burden um, and do you feel frustrated by this expectation which has almost been almost been put on you and it feels like the older generations perhaps are wiping their hands of it and saying well look let, let them sort it out. I think I don't know if we often use the age thing to kind of divert from a lot of the other issues in terms of who's engaging and who's not like I would say that I know a lot of people in my generation who kind of just seem to think it's not their responsibility also don't think I do enough but equally I know people in the older generation who you know they tried and I think maybe didn't even have 
the platform and like we're still literally arguing for the basic science like whilst so I, th- I think it's kind of maybe also a way sometimes to I don't know talk about well the wider issues of like who is putting the time and energy in here so like even just thinking about stuff like grandparents like I've had really good conversations with my grandmother and I've also been really lucky to like literally being able to say like do you know like like, actually I'm really jealous that like when I think about my future I'm like should I have children should I not from a climate perspective um or like you know looking at say traveling that older generation said I'm like is it right for me to do things like that but also I think I don't know like obviously I don't know what it's like to be the older generation but it must be pretty hard to like look and be like future generations have got this challenge but like I don't know I I don't know if that's a way to I'm sort of rambling but but yeah I think for me it's less about age and maybe yeah that's a kind of some a way to simplify something that's really complex but it sounds like you don't feel that the pressure is being put on on you and your 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 colleagues your your generation as such is that right there definitely are pressures but I don't know if that's coming from my generation or the wider sort of circle if that makes sense when you're in a sort of sphere where these things matter um yeah and I was just gonna say I think it's maybe a new sense of urgency we're feeling um I guess in the UK because actually people around the world especially in the global south have been at the forefront of the climate crisis for decades and they've we haven't faced kind of the same natural disasters that have had them demanding change for so long like they've been speaking out against all sorts of things for years and years and years and their voices just haven't been heard um so I think that's become kind of a a key area we want to work on it this idea of kind of amplifying these voices because yeah I guess it's easy to feel disengaged when you're not feeling the heat I guess in the same way but yeah and I guess climate change is definitely not a problem of the future it's very present now and it's very clear that we're still contributing so I I would say there is kind of this feeling of not doom per se but I think we're hearing more and more frequently we only have say 12 years to make a change or we're like very quickly approaching 1.5 so this idea that we need to act now because you hear you hear things but like hardly any of the governments are meeting kind of their climate targets that have been set um we're so many years on from like the Paris agreement and it's just they're not there's not enough happening yet yeah really um like in line with that as you I think you were saying sort of are we angry at the older generations and I'd say I'm not so much it's not like a generational thing I'm angry at the people who are in positions to make change now because yes they should be making a change but also you get to those positions where we're in the power like it will be too late for us so they are literally wasting the time we have left and maybe a nice way of visualizing it is that um lots of our targets are set for 2030 um either like our sort of our own targets or like the scientific like mandate that we need to make our cut our emissions by then um and 2030 is um eight years away and if we think back eight years that was when we had the Sochi 2014 Olympics um is when we had when Frozen first came out and to me that seems like yesterday and so if we've got to make those changes now like there's a huge amount more that needs to be done that's nice I think that's great actually wow eight years ago Frozen came out (laughs) Um, that really puts into perspective and then eight years from now I had I actually hadn't thought about it in that in those sorts of 
kind of simple terms and actually yes, that's so true it is it's not far away is it just to add to that because I feel like we've been talking about like sort of who's been having to engage in stuff and who hasn't but I think like it's also important to mention like as a medical student like there's a privilege in having the time to be able to like get involved in sort of advocacy work and often like say sort of there's students who you know they come home from placement and they have to go straight to their job and stuff like that so I feel like maybe I've been a little bit like accusatory of like oh well some people are just devolt but actually it's a privilege to have the time no I think I think that really ties in with just the whole like justice element we were talking about earlier there wasn't it it's like connecting the dots between who is able to make changes who's in positions to make changes who's feeling the effects of whatever mm-hmm. and it's, it's all the same issues at the end of the day um and probably you demonstrated it quite nicely there so I think thinking about the fact that we've got um we've got only a few years to kind of make big changes um and one thing that was helpful that I think you said was um you know look at all the changes we made for COVID and actually how quickly really unexpectedly I mean I, I never would have believed how much lives changed and how much people changed their lives for COVID so seeing that I think does give us hope and demonstrates just the capacity for change that people have which they often I don't think believe they have themselves um so what would be your advice to current students doctors and other healthcare professionals about what they do today this week this year um to kind of bring these things forward quicker Maybe going back to that COVID example, I think a lot of the best strategies that came out of dealing with COVID were the ones that were devised by the health professionals. So, for example, in A&E, it was the people on the ground who developed like the amber, the purple zones and um, those systems worked. Whereas if we think about the government, they were the ones who were making these ridiculous rules and breaking them all. And that got us nowhere. So I think it goes back to the fact that we're the people on the ground and we know what can make a difference so if we want to make our practices more sustainable who are the better people to ask and the people doing it at the moment um so going back to like asks maybe start looking around us now and seeing what could change and what steps need to happen and maybe they do seem a bit impossible but that was the same with covid and we got there so and it's the same you know we're in another emergency um and so we definitely have all the backing that we need to you know there's so many Maybe that's been one of the barriers, actually, that people have stopped people doing stuff so far, thinking like, you know, I, like I'd like to do this, but I, I don't think my trust will support it or that kind of thing. But maybe check if your trust has made a declaration of climate emergency, because if they have, then they should be supporting whatever it is you're doing. Um, the NHS has de- like declared an emergency. The governments have. Most of our universities have. Um, so there's there's like a legal mandate, there's a scientific mandate, and there's the public, like I said earlier, but, you know, people have never been more engaged or more concerned. Um, So this really is like a good time to make changes. I feel like with the COVID parallels, there's also like, maybe like we need to be cautious about certain stuff, because like with COVID, we also saw like inequalities be exacerbated so much. And we saw like vaccine hesitancy, and then some people be sort of kind of blamed and demonized for that hesitancy when actually that hesitancy stemmed from sort of being neglected by medicine for so long so I think also bearing in mind like COVID wasn't all like oh wow everyone really stayed at home and put those masks on and washed their hands but a lot of stuff kind of was exacerbated so kind of thinking about again yeah like how can we actually like I guess like the underlying things often are the same and it's like social inequalities and injustices and that so kind of yeah, I think also not having, and it stems back to what people more like, say you were saying about Shell and the carbon footprint, like we need to stop blaming individuals and kind of, yeah, why are people not 
able to or wanting to engage with these things. But yeah, I think that's like my yeah big concern is that actually in like looking at solutions, we just actually perpetuate other problems by sort of excluding people or yeah attributing a culture of blame. I don't know if that makes sense. And I think definitely not forgetting that we are powerful like we can make a difference um I think the problems seem so big but we can it's not too late like there is still time there's still opportunity um and I guess getting involved in whatever capacity you feel able to like Lizzie said there's room for kind of everyone in the climate movement um and action seems like a great way to kind of deal with climate anxiety um just jumping in on that as well like um the community that I found from this has been so like inspirational and so powerful so I only met Medge through Students of Over Health and then I met Marina when I was up at COP in Glasgow um and it's nice just to see you guys again and like that gives me so much hope that there's people out there and um Again, as a student, I think it's really nice. There's so much we can get involved with because it is a growing field. Um, there are no experts. And so there's, I think it's definitely something like, you know, I'm on this podcast today. Like I would never be on a podcast about like urology or something like <laughs> when would that happen? But as a student, I can do all these things. And that's really fun. Is I think so much of the time, like we're, we're doing all this um, learning and revising so that one day, many years down the line, we might be a consultant and we can make a change. But this is a chance where we can make changes now and we need those changes as much as it is also fun to do and nice to get involved with. I would just add to that that from the perspective of a consultant what I love about this work is that it's truly flattening of hierarchies so there it's very rare that that's genuinely true so if I go to a meeting I'm expected to be the one in charge and be the one with the answers but it's very much understood that we we don't have the answers to this but we're building them together and so the meetings I'm in about stuff to do with climate and health are really fun they're the most fun meetings I go to and it's true it's absolutely genuinely true that I'm seeking everybody's opinions and we're all working together to come up with the solutions and I think that's what we need to replicate that we're all finding in these spaces together on a bigger scale Um, and as you say medicine you know medicine's so inspiring you know the things that people were being taught in medical school 50 years ago are now you know confined to a dusty book because technology and people have moved on and I guess that's my hope for this as well we see the massive technological advances that improve health for individuals we see the massive impacts of public health that improves health for populations and this is another sphere of that so everything you've said today has been really hopeful and great and it's been fantastic to talk to you is there anything else that you wanted to say that that we haven't covered today I guess for me, I'd just like to say um, I've never done like a platform like this before, but it's so nice and to think that we can like make these changes. And I think it just goes back to the idea that there is so much we can do. And I'd really encourage people to step forward, especially if you haven't done anything like this before. Like I was in that position two years ago and then I've just got more involved from there. And yeah, there's so much that we can do and we need everybody. So there's never a better time than now to get involved. I just want to say like one of the, the things which hearing you guys talk and also speaking to I spoke to Robin Stott he's like a an old school activist and one of the things he said as well was finding um something you enjoy so you, I, I love this idea of finding finding a skill which you can use because any of any skills everyone's got a skill which they can use 
but equally finding um finding enjoyment out of it and you've talked about socializing meeting people um enjoyment in having these projects enjoyment seeing you know seeing achieving things and actually if you're enjoying something um as well as finding it worthwhile then you're gonna persist at it and you know so i think that's great and i can see as well as achieving great things guys you're doing a brilliant job and i'm yeah i'm really incredibly impressed and also i'm just so pleased that you're yeah you're clearly enjoying it which is which is amazing so you know win-win i really love that like i feel like just finding your community and that like matters so much as well like i don't know i feel like i spent most of medicine not really feeling like i belonged not really knowing like if i wanted to be there and actually it was through like and then yeah like we're all in different places across the country and just realizing like there are people who share our values and like even just yeah it's it's really cool seeing a consultant who like cares about that stuff and suddenly it is like a way like yeah those doctors i want to be like those doctors and there's like fellow students that I want to get to know more and that and just yeah it's actually we talk a lot about like climate anxiety and stuff like that but there's also like I don't know what it's called like climate joy <laughs> I don't but yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah this is really lovely um and reinvigorating <laughs> coined here on journal spotting climate <laughs> joy I love it absolutely great well done Marina brilliant yeah I did I did read about how joy sustains activism and I think that's so true like I think if you're able to enjoy the work you're involved in and it like every little makes a difference like every degree of warming uh, it'll have massive impacts so anything you do that can decrease that will save lives um and there's joy in that I guess in this idea that we we want to help people and we want to protect the planet and that's joyful that's wonderful Guys, thank you so much for chatting to us. I think it's been uh, it's been brilliant hearing you talk. And as I, as I said before, you, you yeah, you're all doing fantastic things, and long may that continue. Um, and thank you for taking your time out to chat to us all about it. And I'm sure there's so much our listeners will, will gain from this. So thank you. Thank you so much. You definitely brought me lots of joy this evening. So I will go <laughs> and spread my climate joy around <laughs> with everyone I see. <laughs> Oh, great, LG. It was really, really great to listen to that again. Um, there was so much covered by Lizzie, Mej and Marina. Um, I just I just really impressed throughout just listening to them, their knowledge and experience, um, the way they articulated it, all around climate and health. I thought it was, I thought it was great, really impressive. Um, what struck you most about the in our discussion? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, there was loads. Um, firstly, it was just a real dose of hope to hear them talk with such yeah. deep understanding of the issues, which has taken me years to acquire and I'm still getting there, so they're really way ahead. Hearing Lizzie talk about how important it has been to have somewhere positive to put feelings about the climate crisis um, was great, and how taking action has helped her feeling overwhelmed, that's definitely something that resonates with me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, we often hear a lot about climate anxiety and it's a huge problem. You know, I say probably in, in everybody, but you know, the, the biggest worry people have is in our younger generations. Um, and it's really great to hear that actually um, taking action has helped them um, and encouraged them rather than sort of worsened any despair. And I think that's really important. That's something people should really take home that actually, if you're worried about it, just by doing something, whatever it is, making these podcasts, whatever it is, you know, that makes you, that makes it feel better, makes it you know, easier to take on and less of a burden. Um, the other thing I loved was discussing how, you know, there's something for everyone. There really is. And they've found a new community and they've gained new skills. But 
actually it's one of these things where whatever your skills are you know they could be in talking reading you know investigating making posters whatever it is there's something there for everyone and I think that's that's a brilliant take home as well so whoever's listening there's always something that you can get yourself into yeah it's it's a big problem to tackle but there's something for everyone to bring to the cause which is really fantastic um, another thing that really struck me was um, when Marina made some really brilliant points about intersectionality. I think she said, um, what's the point of campaigning for gender equality on a background of climate collapse? It just doesn't work. And I thought that was really insightful. Um, my favourite Audrey Lord quote is, there's no such thing as a single issue struggle because we do not live single issue lives. And I think it's really important to remember how interconnected so many issues are that are relevant to health and health inequalities. Also, I never want to pass up an opportunity to quote Audrey Lodge. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> a lovely quote. Yeah, actually, you know what? I was thinking about this recently with, um, I was listening to a podcast, the Yikes podcast, if you haven't heard of it, it's very good. LJ actually recommended it to me and they t- were talking about prison abolitionism and it's a, a concept that I've had a kind of an idea about but never really heard much about and how this is, but yeah, it's, it's all so linked to the climate struggle, the struggle with society, the struggle with prisons, it's all linked really. Um and it's all trying to make a better society in so many ways. So fantastic. Um, yeah, and I was just, I was deeply impressed by, you know, the medical students, which we talked to, um, and just their thinking on these issues is so far ahead than I was ever at university. I do sometimes think back and wonder what, how did I, <laughs> what I did at university. Yes, I, I may have learned medicine, which I suppose is, you know, could be hard work, but um, they've managed to pack in so much amazing action and learning on top of medical school curriculum I think it's deeply impressive um and the clarity on how they communicated about climate change the words they used how they spoke about it um and the importance the things like the importance of not making individual patients feel responsible but um how we should be educating our patients and talking about them to make so empowering them to make decisions and you know even if that is just decisions to get involved in climate action also, finally, for me, I think, you know, just this idea that it's the voice of the healthcare profession is so important and we do play a, a pivotal role in climate action, which is why we're doing these podcasts, why it's so important to us. And it's not, we're not the only people it's up to, but we're going to play a crucial role in creating system change. And that's what's needed. So, yeah, brilliant. Definitely. Yeah, I also, I really liked um, Meg and Lizzie's comments about the opportunities that stem from crisis, the opportunities we have to reimagine systems and reimagine how we might create justice in a way that's different to what we see around us. Um, And actually, there's a real opportunity here to fix lots of interrelated problems. And they mentioned the Green New Deal as a really tangible way to do this. And I'd really encourage listeners to read um, Medac's report on the public health case for a Green New Deal, which they cited, which... I think is really helpful because it provides really meaningful solutions, but it also helps to shift the conversation and help us to think about, well, what is health and what is this healthcare system for? And Marina challenged us about, you know, the structure of healthcare and whether it serves all communities. And I thought that was just really brilliant. That was such a good um, provocative point to make and really, I think, is really important when we're thinking about this wider system. They had such a broad view of health and a focus on public health, um, which I just I really loved. I, I also love the fact that we finished um, talking about climate joy coined on climate spot, uh, climate spotting, <laughs> coined on climate zone journal spotting. Um, and I think I think that is key. If you can find joy in what you're doing, you're going to continue doing it. You know, I mean, people can 
do things which they hate for a short period of time. But actually, if you can find joy in it, you will keep doing it and you'll keep fighting for it. And that's what that's what they're doing. And I think that's what we should all try and do. Um, so, yeah. Yes. Yes. More joy, please. Yes. yes please. I, hope, um, <laughs> I hope this episode has brought our listeners some joy. It certainly brought us joy in recording it. Um, so thanks again to Merge, Lizzie and Marina for joining us. They were just fantastic. Um, so before we go, there's just time to hear about our latest climate challenge. Uh, this month, if you remember, the challenge was to bring up the climate crisis in a conversation at work. So Barney, how did you get on? Yeah, fine. Um, I work in a, because I'm doing research at the moment, my sort of core team is a fairly small group of people in an office. And they're kind of used to me cycling in, having listened to a Blinkist or a podcast and coming up with the latest advice on usually lifestyle medicine or something like that. So I was trying to focus on climate change. And a couple of opportunities came up for this. One was we're going to the ERS conference in Barcelona. And so, of course, there was discussion about how we're going to get there. And I was kind of insistent on getting a train and then we're going to drive down and get a train sort of further down and things like this. Um, And some of them were flying and I was trying to make my case for still getting funded, even though it was more expensive to go down by other transport. Um, And so in the end, it looks like I should be funded for my journey, even though it is more expensive than flying, um, because it was important. And it was important to me to to be able to do that, to make that difference. And the other thing which came up, my poor work colleagues, sometimes they they roll their eyes, but it was about bottled water. And I have to be a little bit careful because somebody bought some bottled water and the water up in the office is actually not drinkable. So it seems fair enough. Um, But it does... You know, I'm trying to spark conversation about it, trying to spark conversation about, oh, do you know, actually, that, you know, this bottle of water came from this place in a different country has been, you know, and actually has got less electrolytes. It's probably less good for you than just the tap water in usual, yeah, usual tap water, maybe not the taps there, which you're not allowed to drink out of. Um, so, yeah, plenty of times it's come up. And actually, most of the time it sparked some good conversation and usually ends up with me forwarding them a podcast um, about it, which they may not listen to. But um, I think it's important you've got to keep a conversation going rather than well, rather than dictating to people what they can and can't do. Um, I think, I'm not sure, if LJ, you've had this sort of problem. Um, because I often seem to be the person, I try not to be patronising, I try not to you know, be that person who's always saying, oh, you should do this instead of this. But sometimes that seems like it comes across. I've suddenly I've become that guy so maybe when I do suggest things people are a bit like oh that's just uh, another suggestion from Barney which you know you know do, do you have that problem you've you've come oh yes this that is, guy this or is that, very familiar that I am very much yeah. that guy at work um yeah. so I think it's difficult um because if something's really important to you and you see um areas that could be changed so often I mean there's so many opportunities to just uh, do something that's more environmentally sustainable every day in everyday life that it's very tempting to bring them all up and to point them all out and I guess the tactic I've taken is to try to um, pick things that I think are meaningful and most important so and also to try and do it in a way that's um encouraging and not preachy which can be really hard um can be so tough. things like yeah. <laughs> so things like i buy oat milk and put it in the fridge and it's available to anyone to use so i'm providing them with free oat milk um and hope and and that 
and above our kettle is a sign that shows you the um, water, land use and carbon footprint of different types of milk. So there's a nudge there with uh, some evidence and then there's a free offer of oat milk. Now, some of my colleagues have switched and others have not. Um, And when I make the tea, I offer them uh, dairy milk or non-dairy milk every single time, even though one guy in my office picks dairy milk every single time. And I'm hoping (laughs) that one day, one day he'll pick the oat milk. So I think that's one way. Um, yeah, that's The good. other things, I mean, I am, you know, I am very much the person who will who will talk about climate in every conversation, but that's okay now, I think. I think uh, my colleagues are very used to it and, and they're fine with it. And they have all pretty much shifted their behavior in some way or another. So they tell me how many vegan meals they've had this week. Um, they tell yeah. me that they travel by train. You know, they feel a sense of pride to be able to say they've done something positive. Um the other things I've done are to try and integrate it into into the work in a way that's sort of drip feed. So we have um, when I'm on the ward um, at the end of board round, um, I uh, have a fact of the day and we rotate who does that yeah. fact of the day. But every time I do it, it's a fact about the climate crisis. Um, and I've also made a commitment to put one slide in every talk I give that links the climate crisis with health. Um, oh, and the more great. you start yeah. doing it it just is much easier like the minute you start thinking about it literally any topic you can think of you can have one slide that's great that's a really good idea and I think I should try to do that when I was on your ward round um the last fact of the day I chose was that Mr Frisbee when he died he was cremated and had his ashes turned into a frisbee so maybe I didn't get the uh the subtle hints that I should be going for some sort of climate change I think that's okay it's good to have a diversity of facts but every time (laughs) I do one it's about the climate crisis so it's just like oh part of the general chat (laughs) fact. so I think that's fine frisbee facts also welcome Awesome, welcome, brilliant. Uh, LJ, thank you so much. I think that's, um, yeah, you, you, you found these sort of these great medical students and we've had a really wonderful discussion with them. So thank you for uh, sorting that out. Okay, well, that's nearly the end of the episode, but just time for us to think about our next challenge. Oh, yes, of course. I, I almost forgot. Go on, LJ, do you have any, uh, do you have any wild ideas about uh, challenges for this one? I do have quite a wild idea. I was just really struck by... Um, our conversations about climate joy and the need for joy in this work and a lot of my joy comes from uh, creativity yeah Yeah. Um, particularly because often I'm not very good at it but I also (laughs) love it and that's really good for our souls to be bad at things yeah I think so I think so a bit like me singing I'm terrible but I sing really loud (laughs) yeah exactly it's not shout creative I'm going to bring us a maybe slightly uncomfortable challenge, which is going to be to write some poetry. <laughs> but very specifically, okay. I'm going to ask you to write a climate haiku. Haiku. Okay. Haiku? I, I have heard of a haiku. I've never done it. I remember a few years ago, sort of, I've had some friends who were doing them quite a lot, but I've I've never done it. LJ, do you want to tell us the, the rules about yeah. haikus? Yeah. So it's a traditional Japanese um structure of poetry um but there but but you can have it in any language so you have to have no more than 17 syllables three lines in the whole thing it's three lines and so the first line is five syllables the second line is seven syllables and the third line is five syllables oh my gosh and the other thing that is normally a part of traditional haiku is that there's some kind of nature word in there which shouldn't be difficult with the climate crisis theme some sort of nature word okay Okay. So five seven five syllables, climate 
climate themed some kind of nature word. Brilliant. Cannot wait okay. to hear them. Oh, uh, mine's going to be awful. I don't know. Already. Anyway, no, it's going to be great. That's a great challenge. And that's a lot of fun. And as you say, a bit of as it's sort of mindfulness, isn't it? Thinking about these things, a bit of um, a bit of joy. Um, awesome. Well, listeners, you're going to have to wait till whatever it is next month to listen to see how that goes. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sorting out the interview, LJ. And take care. Thanks. See you next time. You have been listening to Journal Spotting with your host, Dr. Barnaby Hirons and Dr. L.J. Smith. With awesome guests, Mehejabin Farid, Marina Politis, and Lizzie O'Brien. Information and links from the show can be found on our website, journalspotting.com, on Twitter at journalspotting, Facebook or Instagram. Special thanks go to St. George's Healthcare and HEE for their generous grants. If you've liked today's podcast, subscribe and leave a review. If you have any feedback or questions, get in touch via our webpage, our email, journalspotting at gmail.com, or tweet us.